My name is Chandler. I'll be your server this morning. Now, you've probably heard that before, something like it. Anytime you go sit down at a restaurant and, and you hear them tell you, oh, I'm going to be your server and I'm going to take care of you. And, and you know what? We all know the difference between good service and bad service. And if you don't know the difference, it's pretty quick and easy to tell. You know, good service, they give you attention. They make sure you're taken care of. Really, the difference between good and great service is just the difference of anticipating your needs. You know, they're coming to replace your drink before you even know it's empty. They're making sure if you're at a Mexican restaurant, you have all the chips and salsa you need. I know a lot of you like to go and eat lots of chips and salsa. A good server anticipates your need, takes care of you, does things quickly, makes sure you're well taken care of. And you know what? And those people, we, if, if you're fair at all, you often leave them a really good tip. And I'll add, if, if you're a Christian, the best thing you can do is, is be a good person who's getting served and give them a good tip. Take care of them. But we also know what bad service looks like. Inattentiveness, not really caring, having to drag people over. And it's not just because they're busy, it's because they're not really paying attention, right? And this morning I want to talk about service uh, from this psalm, our service specifically to God. But the difference between our service to God and, you know, a waiter or a waitress at a table serving you, is the difference of whether you get the tip at the beginning or the end. When we serve God, it's not so that we can earn a tip at the end and get, you know, some extra money or, or, or take, you know, get more money than we would normally. The, the reason we serve God is because God says, no, I've got the tip ca- taken care of. Here's how much I'm giving you. And we just, out of thanksgiving, begin to serve God. God, our service to him isn't to earn something from him. It's in response to something that we received as a free gift. That's what our service to God looks like. And the first thing we need to note is that God is completely worthy of our service. The psalmist begins here, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. He's talking about God as as one who is exalted and, and in the heavens. Not just merely walking the earth like you and me, but, but far above us and transcendent. And the reality is, in our world today and for our world for decades and centuries past, we as people have sought transcendence. We have sought to, be, to, to have an experience that is larger than life. You know, that's, that's part of the, the reason we see so many issues in this world like the use of drugs and drug addiction. There is a part of that, really, which is a search for something greater, something more transcendent, for meaning and purpose beyond ourselves. Those people, the people, people who, who have struggled with that and who have gone through that, they aren't lesser than us. They're searching for the same thing we are, and they're being told that's where it is. But it's not only that. It, it's anything. It's anything that we, we serve and we place before our worship and service to the one true living God. There, there are many things that we can place in our lives. There are many things that, that we might, we see new age ideas of, of religious belief, of spirituality, in, in which we begin to worship many different things that have many different ideas of what's going on. But that's because we want transcendence. We want something greater than ourselves. I mean, there's nothing, I think, that shows this on our culture more. It's less prevalent of a saying today, but I definitely grew up with it. This is something I'd heard, you know, like, I just want to feel alive. 
Can you imagine being in such a state of mind where you could be walking this earth breathing and, and, and drinking and, and eating and, and sleeping and living and say, I don't feel alive? That's because there's something that we all long for, something greater. C.S. Lewis talked about how it's an appetite that has to be satisfied. You know, if we're, if we're hungry, we assume that there's a food that will make us less hungry. And in the same way, he says, if we, if we have a desire for the spiritual, a desire for the transcendent, a desire for a God, then it may just be, and it very much is, that there is a God who satisfies that hunger and that desire and that appetite. And so we come to the scripture today and see that that search for transcendence, for that, for that being beyond ourselves, is satisfied by the one true living God who is holy, utterly set apart, distinct from his creation, exists above it and beyond it. Psalm 115.3 uses that same phrase, in the heavens, when it says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. This is a God who is in so control of the world that he has created that he does what he pleases. What God wills is reality. We also see in Isaiah 55, 9, though, that this, this search for transcendence has to accept some humility in our part. Because it says that, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's saying that if you can imagine the ground you are standing on, the distance between that ground and the highest point in the sky whether by day or night, that distance is the same distance that exists between my ways, this is God speaking, and yours, my thoughts and your thoughts. So in our search for transcendence, we can't just jump, jump ahead. We can't just say, well, I'm going to get up there. We actually have to learn how to humble ourselves and realize, you know what, I'm not going to figure this all out. You know, even, even the most intelligent person you've ever met it's like an ant looking at Mount Everest going, oh, that's not that big. I mean, that's, that's the difference, right, between God's ways and our ways, between our thoughts and his thoughts, because he is that much greater than us, that much holier, that much more beyond even our, our greatest imaginations could comprehend. So we must rely, if we are going to know anything about God, we must rely on his word and what he teaches us. We can't just look at this world and hope we figure it out. But I think there's something missing here. God is completely worthy of our worship, not just because he trans in our service, not just because he transcends everything. The God that we confess, that we tell the world we believe in as Christians, is the God most known to us in Jesus Christ. The God who came to this world, not to lord it over us, but to serve us. In Mark 10, 45, you know, Jesus says, For the Son of Man, Son of Man referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The message of Christianity isn't that there is this great transcendent God to which we have to bow down, and if we don't earn his favor, then we are somehow in the wrong. It is the fact that there is a great transcendent God who has stooped down to us, who has condescended to us, who has humbled himself before us, so that he could live in this world taking on the form of a servant, as Philippians 2.7 says. 
that, that he took on a human nature and lived in this world. That alone, that alone is humility and service to the other most. In, in other religions, in, in Islam, they would call that shirk, meaning just unforgivable heresy, that God could become human. Because the human is so sinful and God is so holy that that is complete heresy that that could happen. But the reality that we are teaching is, and the reality that exists in this world, is that yes, God is that holy and man is that sinful, but God took on human nature anyway. And he lived without sin. And he went to the cross and he died there for us, giving his life as a ransom for many, humbling himself even to the point of being obedient to death on a cross. So it's not just this transcendent, great God that exists beyond our imaginations, although that is certainly true, but it's that God who humbles himself and stoops down and serves to the point that he would wash the dirty feet of a sinner, to the point that he would die for them even, even as they were his enemies. I mean, it's that kind of service that so many of us are so far from achieving ourselves. But that's exactly why our God is completely worthy of service. Yes, he is transcendent. Yes, he is holy. Yes, he is greater than us. But also he enters into our world and lives and dies and is raised from the dead for us. Utter service. Utter humility. So our God is completely worthy of service. And we must look to God as our only master. In verse 2, the psalmist writes, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. We, we look to God like a servant looking to a master. In fact, it's saying that he looks to the hand of the master. The servant, serving his master, comes and, and prays, you know, not in a spiritual sense, but in an actual sense, prays to his master, asks for help, and is expecting the master to extend his hand and show him favor. And it says that's how we are to God. We are his servants, and we are just asking him for his favor. And we must look to God as our master and nothing else. You know, service is, is a thing churches talk about. Serving is a thing churches talk about a lot. You know a lot of churches, and you may have been in some, and, and it's okay, that sometimes their mission statement is, you know, love God, love people, serve the world. And I think that's fine. It's a good generic mission statement. But service is essential to what they're saying their church is about, Right? That, that's how highly the Christian views service. But we, but we need to be clear. Because I would love, on this Sunday, we have VBS this week. I'm trying to get you to, to be involved in Boys and Girls Club, to be involved in you. I would love to turn this sermon about how we should be going out and serving the world. But the text is telling us, not that, but we should first and, and primarily, and, and in some sense, only serve God. So we have to pause and say, we would get on the wrong foot. We would, it's kind of getting the cart before the horse if we say serve the world before we say serve God. Now, I'm going to give all those churches a whole lot of grace because they start their mission state with love God. So I'm going to give them grace there. They're starting with God. But in reality, the scriptures teach us that we serve others primarily as a part of our serving God. 
Matthew 6.24, Jesus himself says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, in preaching that passage, we would probably focus most of our time on that God and money, because that's what Jesus puts the focus on. But in bringing the idea to, our, to ourselves this morning, we see that the principle is that you cannot serve God and anything else. There is no thing for which we can have as our master. There is no one that we can have as our master except for God. That's the reality. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you all a quote that I gave you all last week, so I'm sorry that you're getting it two weeks in a row. You know what I always say. The great theologian Bob Dylan once said, you're going to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. So for the young ones in the crowd, Bob Dylan is not a theologian at all. <laughs> That's the joke, okay? But it's true. That, that is true, that, that we're going to serve somebody, we're going to worship somebody, and it's either going to be the Lord, or it's going to be the world, and all of its ways, and the devil himself. We are born serving and enslaved to sin and death. That's the reality that we're born into. And it is only by the sheer grace of God, in the work of Jesus Christ, brought to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that that changes it is only by that for which we can change who our master is, where we can change who we are aligned with, who our allegiance is owed to. It is only in the work of God that we begin to say, wait a minute, maybe, just maybe, I shouldn't be serving my sin. I shouldn't be serving myself. I shouldn't be serving this world even. But I should be serving God to the uttermost. It reminds me of the passage in Joshua 24. You've heard it, you know, you've seen it on the walls. You know, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. But we forget the context of that. Joshua is saying, you have served the gods of your forefathers in the land. You have served the gods of Egypt. And he tells them, today, you must choose who you will serve, either Yahweh or someone else, but you can't choose both. As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. It's, it's, that, it's that idea that we actually have to make a choice about who we're going to serve in this life. And we can't just serve everybody and please everybody and go along with it. We have to choose who we will serve. And the scripture leads us to say that we can only serve the Lord as our master. Now that's going to change how we treat everybody else. And, and it will lead to us serving others, to be very clear. You know, when we serve others, we serve God in some sense. You know, Jesus says that what you have done for the least of these, you have done for me. You know, every person, despite the fact that they're born in, enslaved to sin, is also born in the image of God, having been created by God to image him in this world. And so when we, when we serve others, whether they're saved or whether they're not, whether they're members of our church or whether they're not, we are serving the Lord. So yes, God can be our only master, but a part of serving our only master, God, is serving everyone we can. And in this posture as servants, we look to God for his mercy. In verse 2, again, it says, So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. And then in verse 3, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. When you're reading your Bibles, if something is repeated, 
you should pay attention. You know, you, you look at other parts of Scripture and it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What should you come away thinking when you read a thing like that? I don't know. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, it's crazy, I know. You know, back then they wrote, on, they wrote all this stuff down, all capitals, no spaces, that kind of thing, no paragraph breaks. They didn't have underlining or italicizing or bold. So when you read, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, that's bold, that's italicized, that's underlined. It's in 14-point font. For some of you, it's in like 24-point font, but I won't get into that. We must look to God for his mercy till he has mercy upon us. Now, that word for mercy here, I think mercy is a fine translation of it. But if you really want to put it in plain English, it's saying show favor. Show favor. In fact, other translations, the Christian Standard Bible translates it, be gracious to us. Show grace to us. So, in, it's, so it's this, not just mercy in a specific sense, but just this general show us favor, show us grace. And so the psalmist cries out, have mercy upon us. Now it's interesting here. It doesn't say that the servant looks to his master and, and serves him so that he can have mercy. No, no, no. It already defines the person as a servant. It's a servant who goes to his master asking for mercy, asking for him to show favor, asking for his grace. Something that we as Christians have to do constantly and consistently. We don't want to get this backwards. We don't want to say that we serve God so that he shows us favor. We want to be very clear that it's those who serve God who ask for God's favor because he has already shown it to us. Again, he's already shown us the $200, the $500 tip that he's leaving at our table. And so, as a good servant, we will serve him better. We won't say, well, I already got my tip, I'm going to run off and go. We'll serve him better. We'll serve him with thanksgiving. We'll serve him with praise. And when the hard times come, we still, as his servants, ask for his favor, ask for his mercy, ask for his grace. Again, in the psalm, it's it's not a servant who is begging to his master. He's not saying, Lord, look at all what I've done for you. Look at how I I polished your shoes, how I swept your floors, how I cooked your meals. I left the little mint on the pillow when you went to bed every night. No, 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 no. It's just the servant looking to the hand of his master, not begging, not, not looking at all that he's done, just saying, show me favor. And that should be our posture. When, we, when we're asking for favor from the Lord, we should recount what he has done for us already. We should recount his promises in Scripture. We shouldn't rehearse all that we have done. When we say, Lord, how I prayed for you, how I read my Scripture for you, how I went and fed people for you, how I took care of people for you, if we have that posture, he will say to us, I never knew you. But if we come to him and we say, Lord, you have been so kind to us. You have freed us from the burden of slavery to sin, the yoke of slavery to sin. You, like you have done with the Egyptians, or sorry, with the the Jewish people, your people in Egypt, you have freed them from slavery to Pharaoh. In that same way you have done for us in Christ, you have freed us from slavery to sin. And praying to God, show us favor. You've done it before. We ask you to do it again. I mean, I'm putting the impetus on God rather than ourselves, pointing to his good deeds rather than ours. 
That's, that's God-centered religion. That's, that's religion that's a relationship with the risen Lord. It's not man-centered. It's not all about us. And that's the reality is this book was never all about us. Go back. We know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all those guys. Good guys, sure, whatever. I mean, they did terrible things, but they were good, right? But we look to it. That's, that's not who the main character is at all. The main character is the one true living God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The one who's revealed to us most fully and finally in Jesus Christ. That's the main character. And so we live our lives as side characters in his story. And you know what? Sometimes we live as the antagonist in his story. So we ask for mercy. But we must continue to serve God when it brings us contempt. See in verse 3 and into verse 4, he says, For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our, our soul, our very selves, has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. In his commentary on Psalms, Derek Kidner writes, Other things can bruise, but this contempt is cold steel. It goes deeper into the spirit than any form of rejection. Contempt isn't simply rejection in the sense uh, that some of, you, some of you girls may have rejected a boy in the past who wants to go out on a date or he wants to spend a little time with you or you say, no, 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 I don't want... That's not the kind of rejection we're talking about. Hopefully in good spirits you just say, no, I'm not interested and you just move on. You're, you don't have contempt for him, you're just rejecting him. And, and if you haven't had much practice in that, maybe you will at some point. I don't know. But the point is, it's not that simple kind of rejection. It's a much deeper thing. It's contempt. It's it's when someone comes to you and asks you for something, and you not only reject it, but you wish you could reject it again and again and again and again. It's that feeling that, that you wish, if you were able, you could just drive the knife through and twist it a little bit. That's contempt. That's hatred. When Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about anger and murder. This idea of contempt, anger, that is this bitterness that is harbored in our hearts toward others, that kind of contempt... He ranks us higher than just simple hatred, even than simple murder. Contempt. And really, if you look at Daniel 12, 2, contempt itself is the pains of hell. In Daniel 12, 2, it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Can I say something that may upset a few people? The reality is that when we have contempt for others, in our hearts, and I don't mean this as a curse, we say to hell with them. And I don't mean that as, literally, that's what we're saying. That is our approach. When we have that kind of bitterness for someone, even when they are out of our lives, even when they are not in our, in our lives at all, not when there are problems, and when their name comes up, you just boil a little bit. When their name comes up and you just can't help but say, things that aren't very nice about them, you can't help but bring up all their flaws, that's contempt. And that's the punishment of hell. And in those circumstances, we must con- when, we, when we get contempt, not when we give it, when we receive contempt from others for the name of Jesus, for his sake, we must continue to serve the Lord anyway. In, in Acts 5.41, this is amazing. This is the disciples. It says, Then they left the presence of the council, and hear this, 
rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor, contempt for the name. They counted them, they were rejoicing because they were worthy to suffer contempt and dishonor for the name. They didn't see contempt as merely this bad thing they needed to be saved from. They saw it as a badge of honor that they were working for the Lord Jesus Christ. They were doing what they needed to do, and God was allowing them to receive contempt from those who were far from God. It's the contempt of the proud. They're happy with their lot in life. They may be completely against God, but they're happy. They're very happy because their hearts have become hard to the reality of their contempt and their pride. It's, it's the, the, the scorn of those who are at ease. They're not worried. The, the biggest thing that we get wrong in evangelism sometimes is we think, well, people know that they're broken and we just have to show up and like be like, hey, I know how to fix it. But that's usually not the case. They have scorn for us, but they're at ease. They have contempt for us, but they're proud. And when we receive that, oh, we can ask God for mercy. Show favor to us, Lord. We can. We can, we can pray that prayer with the psalmist. But we also need to recognize that if that scorn, if that contempt, if that dishonor, we are suffering for the name of Jesus Christ, that is something that we can rejoice in. We can rejoice in our suffering because it's not because we were mean or terrible or, or, or showing contempt to others. It's simply because we were worshiping and obeying and serving the risen Lord Jesus Christ. In that situation, we can have an abundance of joy because we know this life will not last forever. And when it is over, we will rejoice that we were considered worthy. We were considered worthy to be dishonored for the name of Jesus. Finally, I want to leave us with this, that serving God frees us. I said that the exchange that is happening in our lives when we follow Jesus is we are exchanging one master, which is sin, that we have allowed to rule in our lives from the beginning, for a new master, which is Jesus Christ. A new master who says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, come in. But just because we have a new master doesn't mean we're not free. Now when we think of freedom, we usually think of freedom from oppression, freedom from compulsion. You know, we're Americans, aren't we? Most of us, maybe. At least you're living here at the very least, right? And when we think of freedom, we tend to think of Freedom from rulers and oppression and authorities. But the scripture doesn't talk about freedom in exactly those terms. In most cases, it's talking about the kind of freedom that is the freedom to live not for sin, but for Christ. Look at Galatians 5 just for a moment. I'll, I'll give you time to turn there while I also turn there because I didn't have it ready. Galatians 5, I'm going to find the verse and I'll tell you what it is when I figure it out. So look at the first part of Galatians 5, verse 13. He says, Paul writes this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, referring to the sinful self, but through love serve one another. Whoa. We always think of freedom as the ability that I don't have to serve anybody. I'm completely up to my own devices. 
I can do whatever I want. But the scripture says when you are truly free, you are free because Christ is your master. And when Christ is your master, you will serve one another with love. That's what freedom looks like in scripture. It looks like the ability to serve God. It looks like the ability to serve others. It looks like the ability to love others. When we are enslaved to sin, we can serve nobody. The the equation isn't that we need to get free of having a master. We just need a good master. We need Jesus Christ to be our master. We need someone who's going to give us life, who's going to fill us with love, who's going to send us out to serve others. That's what freedom looks like. And so when we read this text this morning, and we're told we must serve our only master, who is God, the one who is enthroned in the heavens, and the one who came down from them to serve us. When we hear that, it is not a text telling us that we are in bondage. It is a text telling us that we are free. We are free to no longer live our sinful, selfish lives that we love, but we are completely free to live for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who we should love all the more, and we should go to all people loving and serving them in his name. Let's pray.